Talkback Gardening with Deb Tribe on ABC Radio Adelaide, South Australia and Broken Hill. Good morning. Welcome to Talkback Gardening on the last weekend of spring, last weekend of November. And we've got a very special guest, Talkback Gardener, in the studio in Brett Draper. Good morning, Brett. Good morning, Deb. It's lovely to have you here this morning. And hasn't it been an odd spring? It, it certainly has, Deb. I mean, we've had lots and lots of wet weather this year and, and, and lots of overcast days as well. So, you know, we've, we've had very few sunny days and that's really had an impact um, um, right across um, all, all facets of growing plants. Whether you're establishing new plants or you have established plants in your garden, the growth has been really, really strange this year. We've got things that are fruiting earlier than what they should be. We've got things that are not setting fruit. We've got things that are flowering or things that are not flowering. And it's just it's it's just really, really hard to get a handle on what's going on this season. It certainly is. We'll just have to see where we're going. Next week, of course, we'll be joined by our climatologist, Darren Ray, for the um, being the first Saturday of December with his seasonal outlook for summer. So we'll get some ideas from him as to what we can expect next season. But thank you to um, our texters. We love to hear from you, of course. Call in with your questions. We're going to be talking stone fruit in just a moment with our special guest, Jason Size. But our phone number is 1300 222 891. We will pick up just your general talk about gardening calls around about half past nine this morning. And then um, we love to get your text messages, 0467 922 891. And on that, talking about the weather being bit strange. Kate in Adelaide says the jacarandas have finally bloomed in Carrington Street. They're usually in full colour in pageant week, so a bit late this week. And hi from my ponga, jacaranda has come and gone already. Oh, wow. So there you go. Um, It's interesting, isn't it? Um, How variable things have been. But Greg from Wyala says the jacaranda trees have flowered up here and there are purple flowers everywhere. I love that carpet of purple. Thank you very much. Um, before we leave, jacarandas, Sally says, on our street, south to north, jacarandas at one end, purple and beautiful, but at the other end, not a purple flower to be seen. Crazy. <laughs> oh, well, the plants don't, don't know what to do. Uh, <laughs> thank you very much for calling in. Well, let's introduce our very special guest because um, in your work as a garden centre manager, Brett, you have had, and we certainly have on Talk Back Gardening, had a lot of people that have had leaf curl with their stone fruit this year. Absolutely, Deb. Yeah, look, we've. I think um, I've had probably every third customer, if you like, that's come in with issues with, with curl leaf, particularly on peaches and nectarines this year, and not just to a small extent, to a really uh, a heavy um, or heavily affected, if you like, to the point where um, the foliage has, has shriveled and, and gone black and there's virtually no foliage left on there. And then new foliage starts to grow and then that actually gets infected as well. So it's something that's really been hanging on, if you like, and continuing to be a, be a problem. And you don't want that coming into summer, do you? Because you're just going to burn your trees very badly. Well, that's right. And, and the other thing is it has an impact on the health of the tree as well because without foliage, the plant um, then um, can't produce energy in preparation for the next season. Well, look, let's introduce our very special guest, Jason Size, who's a Riverland stone fruit grower and chair of the Summer Fruit SA. Jason, thanks for joining us this morning. No, thanks for um, letting me um, come on board. Now, Jason, um, you obviously are a stone fruit grower from the Riverland, so you do, you do this on a large scale compared to a home gardener. But, but many home gardeners, have, as we've just explained, have had a really um, bad season this year in regards to uh, uh, curl leaf um, uh, on their trees. Is, is, has that been caused by the weather that we've been having? 
Uh, most definitely, Brett. Um, a lot of um, even with um, uh, commercial stone fruit growers this year, we've had problems with leaf curl. Um, even I was uh, recently visiting interstate, and um, some of the properties I visited there just had severe amounts of leaf kill. It's it's usually something we would see commercially on the odd tree here or there, but but not to the extent uh, potentially this year that we've actually seen it. Right. So and and so for people that are um, I, I guess experienced um, home gardeners, for instance, who generally have a spraying regime where um, at bud burst or just after bud burst they might spray their tree to control that and they've gone through that process this year even those experienced growers or gardeners um, have had an issue this year what what's actually behind that why hasn't what they would normally do worked um, this year uh, or, or in previous years hasn't worked this year so the biggest problem we've had this year is just the continual rain patterns that come through every every week so it's been really challenging to get those sprays on and to maintain though that spray coverage on our trees so look we we would normally say once you start seeing just that tiny bit of movement um, on your tree in terms of bud movement put out a, a copper spray um, and and i would actually continue um, like if you're getting a rain rain event um, every week um, you know I, I would keep doing that um, just to try to control some of your spurs until up to probably about 10% flower. And, you know, copper will burn off flowers and will burn leaves. So you don't want to be doing copper uh, copper sprays too late when you've got um, fruit flowers and a lot of flowers and you've got leaves starting to develop as well. But, look, if you can go up to 10%, it's not going to matter too much if you burn off that, that first 10% of flowers because typically most stone fruit will will set a crop way too heavy than what the tree can actually manage as well so you're actually doing yourself a favor by doing you know two or three sprays of copper up to about 10 percent bloom yeah now jason um in terms of those sprays of copper are, are you then still using them at the same um uh, recommended rate of application or would you be reducing that um for those follow-up sprays no you, you still do look at the label sometimes the label depending on the copper sprays um, you're using will will tell you whether you can use it um, two or three times within a season and no more. Um, so use it according to the label and also the label rate. So if it says, say, 100 grams per 100 litres or, or whatever it is for a knapsack, um, abide by those rates because that's a legal requirement, regardless of whether you're a commercial grower or a backyard grower. Right, yeah, yeah, of course. Now, um, uh, we've talked about copper as being a spray. Is there any other uh, uh, sprays that might actually help control that or is, is copper really the only effective spray? So copper is probably the best spray. You can use things like Mancozeb as well. Um, I know there's a Yates Mancozeb uh, product out there, which is called uh, Yates uh, Mancozeb Plus. So mm-hmm. it has a bit of sulfur as well. Um, so you know that will help control some of our rots that will develop. Um, it's probably not as effectively effective on leaf curl, but it will help control some of your bacterial cankers, some of your rots um, in, in your fruit trees as well. So some some of those mancozeb sprays are quite good. There's not many other sprays, unfortunately, um, that you could use um, uh, from a gardening sense. There is a really good product actually out there called EcoCarb, which is a potassium bicarbonate um, or, so sorry, potassium silicate. That's a really good product. It, it's more environmental friendly um, and probably a less least likely to harm some of your beneficials um, things like mancozeb uh, tend to have effect on some of our predatory mites so um, unfortunately later on the season you might end up getting what we call a two-spotted mite or a spider mite um, flare up on your trees and you'll actually start 
um, getting the um, the trees to actually um, photosynthesize, you know, um, um, process that um, oxygen and 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 to develop good leaf structure and, and good shoot development. Mm. And Jason, that, that that would be because the macrozeb's got the sulfur component in there, which often is used as a miticide for controlling mites on plants. Well, macrozeb in its own right, as a, as an act, uh, the active in macrozeb is a, a pretty well. Um, an irritant to some of our predators. So the the Mancozeb Plus has sulphur. Um, I was talking specifically about um, Mancozeb. Just Mancozeb. Is a good, yep. Yeah, sulphur is a good product as well, but just be careful, sulphur can burn leaves also. Okay, so for home gardeners this year that have experienced this this event with with um, the continual leaf kill, they've 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 had, you know, foliage that's come out. It's been affected uh, and heavily affected. It's 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 shriveled. It's gone black. It's dropped, or or people have picked it off, and then they've had new growth, and then that new growth has been affected. Is it is it? At what point do you say enough's enough in terms of uh, control? Um, you know, do, do you then just let things go and let 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 nature take its course? Is it, it something it, that will grow through as the weather improves, maybe? Or it, it potentially will grow through as the weather improves. And, and what we do want to see, and hopefully we'll be seeing soon, because I know this weekend's quite warm. Um, we'll get some warm growth. We'll actually get some some root movement and actually uptake of nutrients to try to get more more leaf and shoot development so that that's the the bonus or the potential if, if i want to be an optimist that going forward we're going to get really good growth yes and we're going to actually push some of that um some of those newer fresher leaves which aren't as affected by the spores that um uh, cause us leaf curl will actually get us a better tree sort of structure but but look if you've got really damaged um branches with obvious leaf curl um, think about pruning some of your limbs back just to try to reduce some of those spores that just sit there and could carry over to next year. So, you know, my suggestion is you know, we normally like to do a copper spray around two-thirds leaf fall. You might want to do a couple this year, but also uh, cut, off, cut off the really um, badly affected branches, maybe putting them in a burning heap or in your, your green waste just to get rid of them and move those spores away from your actual tree as mm. well. So, so what sort of percentage would you sort of, you know, say, or how far would you come back on a branch to cut, cut that back, if you like, to try and remove the, the worst of those spores? Oh, easily 20 to 30%. Okay, so easily yeah. look, look, look with with good weather and and subsequent irrigation and nutrition. So don't forget um, to put um, fertilizers on, on on your trees as well, like a good dose of wrapped grazer or donate lifter. Those sort of um, nice products are slow release. Um, you can get really good growth this spring, uh, the, sorry, this summer to actually get your tree back to the height and shape that you want for the following season. Right, yeah. So, um, uh, so then, Jason, um, we've we've then you know, and you've just talked about nutrition because that was going to be my next question in terms of of when you should do that and how you should do that and what you should actually to, to actually fertilize with. And so, those organic based um, uh, fruit tree fertilizers are often um, you know a, a, a good um, a good product to use um, in in regards to that. But we've also then seen. Um, and had reports then of of, uh, of poor fruit set this season, and, and whether that is connected to the fact that we've had a, 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 you know problems with 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 fungal infections like your curl leaf, or is that also down to weather? Uh, potentially, it could be weather, but it also could be the cycle of the of the fruit tree as well. So my question would be, well, what was the crop like last year? Mm. Um, unfortunately, with with some stone with a lot of stone fruit varieties, they can get it what we call a biannual um, setting 
pattern. So they might be heavy this year and and poor the next year. So the the thing to you know the, the question I I probably have is to your customers would be what was the crop like last year? Was it really good? Was it really heavy? And if it was, what did you actually did you actually fertilize it and how much did you fertilize it? Because as soon as you set a heavy crop, you know that's going to pull a lot of nutrients mm. out of a tree and it's going to potentially affect the the following season's crop if it if it hasn't actually been enough fertilizer. So then, Jason, would you recommend if you've got a, a season uh, where you've got a heavy crop on your tree, actually thinning some of that crop? And, and if that's the at, case, at, at what level, at what percentage of, would you consider thinning it to ensure that you've got, you know, some, some good uh, fruit production from year to year? So I would look at what size of, of fruit that a, a, um, a customer would actually um, want to see so in in commercial settings we would probably you know, as a general rule we look at the size of the tree how old the tree what the size of the um the butt circumference is to get some sort of gauge of what size we want that fruit to to eventuate for our um, for our commercial sales so look we would normally try to space our fruit roughly about 100 150 mil apart to get really good size you know um, um, backyard growers can probably um have it a little bit closer together, but manage the tree. You want to see a nice balance between the, the numbers of fruit you've got on a tree and good shoot development as well. You don't want to start having that fruit pull a lot of nutrients out of the tree so you're actually not getting much growth for next year. Because remember, that growth for next year is next year's crop. It's, of um, course. So, Absolutely. So, look, you want to try to thin as much of that crop off as, as you can to develop some of your, your your shooting wood. The best time to get our shooting wood is in our spring because are the buds on those woods that will actually set, have our fruit for the following year. If we try to wait until after we've got that crop off um, and start pushing that tree to get new shoot development, we're potentially not going to get fruit for next year on that new growth because it's it's immature um, uh wood development to actually produce good fruit for the following year. Mm, so it's really about getting that balance right, isn't it, between it is, you know it the, the proportion of your tree, uh, what you expect from the tree, what you fer- how much inputs you put into the tree in terms of water and fertilise and how you look after it in terms of what you will get out of it going forward. Absolutely. And if you've got a tree that actually hasn't set much crop this year, I'd, I'd be summer pruning that tree. So cutting back some of the wood, some of the laterals on your tree so that you've got enough wood for your crop next year. Because what will happen is because if you've got a light set now, it'll put a lot of the tree will put a lot of energy in growing wood. And then come next spring, it'll start flowering and set a lot of fruit and it's going to pull a lot of nutrients out. Mm. So that'll lead back into a, you know your nutrition requirements as well. Really, if you look at your trees and you think about, I've got a lot of wood on my tree um, and I want to keep it, which is fine, um, put a lot of fertiliser on um, in, in autumn. So in your late March, sort of early April period, put some a good amount of fertiliser around in because when the tree starts flowering in spring, it's going to use all that fertiliser in the energy just to produce the flowers and fruit. And in spring, when you put your fertiliser on, you're actually putting that fertiliser on for spring and summer fruit development and shoot development. Our special guest is Jason Size, the very optimistic Jason Size, a Riverland stone fruit grower and chair of Summer Fruit SA. If you have a stone fruit question, call in now on 1300 991. We'll come to those questions next. Talk Back Gardening with Deb Tribe on ABC Radio Adelaide, South Australia and Broken Hill. And our special guest gardener today is Brett Draper. 
Yes, uh, and we're joined by Jason Size, stone fruit grower and chair of Summer Fruits SA. And our uh, discussion this morning is in regards to stone fruit and the issues that home gardeners are having with their stone fruit. Um, now, Jason, you mentioned um, a little bit about summer pruning earlier, and, and um, that's a topic that in the last few years has become more uh, more prominent in terms of management of of of, um, of people's trees and and how they can improve the health of their tree. Um, uh, when is when would you suggest the best time is, if you like, um, to actually um, take or carry out your summer pruning of your stone fruit tree? So we we would be um, thinning out some shoots as we're thinning the fruit crop off as well. So we'd be looking at where some of our our, our shoots are actually being directed. So if they're going into the tree, we'll actually start um, just pinching those off straight away. Um, and probably we wouldn't um, do any further summer pruning um, in terms um, for our, our trees. Look, we would normally go out probably two or three weeks before harvest just to shorten some of the laterals to get right. more lighting to give us good colour. Mm-hmm. But in terms of watching out for summer heat and potential sunburning, um, maybe not go past um, mid-December in terms of your, your water right. shoots. And, and keep an eye on it because you really want to get light into the middle of your tree because that will also give you good viable buds for the following year's but, crop of fruit. Sure, sure. Now, um, there's uh, some people out there that um, uh, uh, you know have, have, have tried everything this season and still nothing's working. What would be the consequences if they did nothing to their stone fruit tree this year? Uh, well, potentially, what would happen is you're going to be carrying over spores for the following year, so you're going to have a you know, you're going to have a, another year of leaf curl um, rot. Uh, Potentially bacterial canker, so bacterial canker. So your tree is going to go backwards um, on a year by year basis if you do nothing. So look, um, think about your coppice sprays when your leaves are dropping. Um, think about your your really bad affected limbs, cutting those back. Um, and look, you, then you're setting yourself up for next year. Even if you've lost your crop this year, you're still setting yourself up for um, some fruit next year. Our special guest, Jason Size, uh, is Riverland Stone Fruit Grower, Chair of Summer Fruit SA. You've got lots of questions for him, I know, on 1300 222891. Barry is at Hallett Cove with a peach tree question. Good morning, Barry. Uh, good morning, guys. Uh, question for Jason, obviously. Um, we've got a dwarf white peach, and it's the second one I've planted in the same spot. First one died. Um, the leaves appear, and when they come out, they look like pine needles. Right, and they're staying looking skinny and narrow like a pine needle for about a month, and they're finally filling out now to a normal leaf down the bottom of the tree. But the new leaves in the top 600 millimeter are still developing, and again, they look like little pine needles when they come out. And the tree's about 1.6 meter high. I mean, the leaves look healthy, and the two trees next to it we've got dwarf peach and dwarf apricot. They're just going gangbusters and loaded with fruit. Okay. So is this something typically you've seen on that variety um, before or is this new? I've never grown one like that before, mate. Okay. But in terms of previous, year, previous years, you said it's 1.6 metres high. What was yeah, it like last the, year? What was? No, this is its first year. Oh, okay. Okay. The others I, have been in be, two years. Yep. I wouldn't be too concerned. It could be just the nature of the dwarfing effect that the um, is actually happening on the leaf development. If it looks green, like it's a nice green colour, it looks pretty helpful, um, healthy, um, I wouldn't worry about too much. Um, just make sure you're keeping up the irrigation and the fertilising. 
There you go, Barry. Um, just do the normal and hopefully that will work out okay. Uh, we'll go to James from Evanston Park. Hi, James. Um, g'day, visitors. Um, I've got a dwarf moor park uh, just put in this year in a courtyard area in the ground and it's put on a lot of whippy growth. Um, is it safe to cut some of that back? Uh, absolutely. Cut back to what you you want your tree to look to uh, look like and, and how much fruit you think you might want for the following year. So it's, it's, quite, it's quite normal. It's quite okay to prune some of your wood. Prune it to the shape that you want um, and that'll be fine. Thank you very much, James. Now, Robert wants a pruning strategy as well for a nectarine. Hi, Robert. Hi. How you going? I, uh, I've got a, a spalier uh, nectarine tree and I want to know, like it's the, the second year now and it's actually got fruit in it. So how do I prune it for like to so I get fruit next year and not sort of cut it all off? If I'm so, trying to get back to the wire, you know. Yeah, no, that that's fine. So look at this year's growth um, and and prune older growth off back to this year's growth. But but really, it's only the spring growth. So any growth after probably um, mid December is yeah. not going to give you fruit. So keep the wood of this year that has grown up until the, say, mid-December. Right. And, and so and you can be... quite comfortably cut back old old limbs back to that yep. new growth um, that's occurred this year. All right. And and so what do you do, like, the year after that? Do you just, just do half of them or something like that? Or You can. You can rotate it over a period of a couple of years to do it. Just watch out, making sure that you're pruning off enough so that you're still getting light penetration into the, the main trunk or back towards your expalia sort of wide, wide netting so that you will always stimulate some of those dormant buds to get that new growth as well. And, and sometimes you may have to look at some of um, the older growth and say, well, I'm actually not getting much fresh growth from the main trunk. I might just cut back on a bit of older, older growth, but just watch out you don't start going out too far on that older growth before you you're having um, new growth because eventually it'll catch up on you and you'll never be able to get back to that wire without actually losing a lot of crop one year. Thank you very much, Robert. Neville is at Parakee with a peach tree problem. Hi, Neville. Hello, how are you? Yep. Um, yeah, this year we didn't have any marshmallow weeds because it was a late season and the year before I hung marshmallows up in the, in the peach tree every few days and we never had any curly leaves. So this year I went and sprayed it with coffee ops copper oxychloride and the whole tree got covered in curly leaf and every single leaf fell off and I've got one peach last year had about 300 peach had to prop the tree up so is that just a, the wives tale about marshmallows or is it true uh, I actually haven't heard that um, that um, old wives tale so that's new to me but in terms of your copper spray I suppose my question would be uh, the timing of this spray as well some of our copper sprays you're not meant to spray uh, within seven hours of, of rainfall. So, you know, be mindful of if you're spraying copper um, in the future, watch out for some of those future rain events that might be happening as well because, you know, if you do, you've actually wasted the um, the time that you spent spraying as well. So good good times to spray copper is generally um, earlier in the morning when the dews pass and you've got a good day of, of clear weather um, and that will set it up. But if you get another rainfall event the, the following week or a week after, think about putting another spray out again um, as long as there's not too many too much leaf or too many flowers actually occurring mm. on the tree and if i can just jump in there jason too the the uh, liquid copper that's available on the market domestically for home gardeners has got a 
uh, gel, if you like, in it, an aqua gel in it, which actually, when you apply, actually adheres to the plant a bit better, which yep. um, you don't get if you're using copper oxychloride. So, no, um, no. In, in the commercial setting, would be adding a surfactant to try to make that copper stick. Mm, okay. Thanks very much for that, Neville. Uh, Graham in Blackwood, you've got no fruit on your three plum trees. Three plum trees. One is, a, is a two years old, the other's a good deal older, and they haven't fruited at all. They, they did flower, but there was no fruit whatsoever on any of them. The only fruit tree that's got anything really good on it is a, a quince, and that's not a, a stone fruit. So. so my question would be... Um, what sort of growth have you got on the plum trees at the moment? Was it really good growth from last year? Good growth on one of them, but two two of them are a little bit sad-looking growth, that's all. Yeah, so it, it, it's, it depends on the varieties as well. Not knowing the varieties, you know, are they pollinators? Are they pollinating themselves? Um, and if you've got a lot of good growth on one tree from the previous year and it actually didn't flower too much, you might have a cross-pollination issue. Uh, the weather... Like we mentioned before, with um, to, uh, Brett, uh, Brett, Brett raised raised earlier, um, the weather's cause havoc for pollination. So because we've had, you know, during our um, late winter, early spring, when our trees are trying to flower, we've had intermittent weather. You know, it's been windy, it's been cold, it's been wet. It really has been challenging to get some good pollination. So that's that's one possibility as well. Uh, the other thing could be also, depending on where you're located, we, we've actually had a little bit of a milder winter also. So for stone fruit, we do require um, cold weather on a lot of our varieties to develop our buds to actually to actually grow fruit um, or set good quality fruit. So that could be in, an impact as well. So I'd just be making sure, try to prune your plums consistently and, and look at it for next year. Thank you very much, Graham, for that call. One last question now for Jason Sires from Peter in Gawler East. Hi, Peter. Uh, good morning. Uh, I have two apricot trees, a Travat, which is about six, seven years old, and a Moor Park, which is in its third year. And last year, there were two apricots on both trees. This year, there's one on each tree. I'm just not getting any fruit. Yeah, so I'm not too sure. I'm pretty sure Travat and Moor Park itself still fertile from memory i'll be talking to another apricot person shortly to confirm that um look it is challenging how old are the trees uh the uh older one travat is probably about seven eight and the uh, other one the moor park about three it's in the third year yeah so i wouldn't be too worried about the moor park it's just it's just juvenile. It just needs to um, a couple more years to set a crop. The Travat's interesting. I would have thought um, that would actually set a good crop uh, quite regularly because I know when I used to have the odd tree in the orchard, that always had a good crop. So, yeah, a bit bewildered by that one. Um, but, yeah, your moor park, just a little bit of a wait and see. And, look, I, I would give it a bit more time, um, see what your Travat's doing over time. And, and, honestly, if you're not setting a crop, Think about removing it. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Peter. Not probably what you want to hear. And Amanda from Goolwell, I've got to throw this at you. Jason says, hang pieces of marshmallow weed on the branches in your tree. You don't get curl leaf and it works. So there you go. That's that's Amanda of Goolwell's view on it. Wow. that's an, that, I actually haven't heard of that either. But you know what? If it works or, or people are having success with it, why not? Marshmallow weeds need to have a use other than just being being a pain in well, the... <laughs> and, and, and I would point out, even in my little bit of orchard i do have marshmallow growing and i still have leaf curl so how, how effective it is i don't know but 
It was an interesting um, conversation. Try yeah. hanging it from the branches, Jason. You never <laughs> yeah, know. That's right. That's right. <laughs> and now, Jason, um, we've only got a, a short time before we need to wrap things up. But I, one thing I was actually going to ask you is what sort of fruit set or crop that you have this year as a grower? Are you actually experiencing a reasonable sort of year or, or are you experiencing the same growing pains, if you like, as everybody else? Oh, uh, look, I think leaf curl probably isn't a biggest issue for me it's been challenging to manage rots so i'm converting my um, orchard to organic so i'm limited to some of my sprays so i'm finding it challenging to manage managing my rots but in terms of weather events we've had we've had good crops good sets on most varieties i do have some apricot varieties that i've struggled to set um, but our biggest challenge has been splitting of the fruit from rain, especially on the apricot variety. So that's been the biggest challenge. And, of course, as soon as you get split fruit, it opens it up to, for spores, mm. rots, and also pests like Carpophilus beetle. Absolutely. Well, listen, Jason, thank you very much for your time this morning. You've really given our listeners an insight mm. into how um, or how they can actually control this, this problem um, going forward and actually have healthy trees going into the future. Um, it's really great to be able to, to speak to people like yourself who actually live and breathe this um, um, day in and day out and can actually share their knowledge because it's really in, uh, important. And I know our listeners really appreciate it and we appreciate your time this morning. No worries, thank you. Thanks, Jason. Jason Sires, Riverland Stone Fruit Grower, Chair of Summer Fruit SA. Love to everybody growing in the Riverland at the moment. Julian Woodchester is echoing the sentiments on marshmallow, says, We use only marshmallow plants here. No major problem with curl leaf. Worry about copper killing worms in soil. So that works for Julie. Mm, absolutely. And, and there is a concern, obviously, if copper does get onto soil, that it does build up and it does have an effect on the, the microbes and, and, and earthworms in the soil. Mm. So whenever you're using any of these products, you really must use them as directed and only use them sparingly. Wonderful. Well, we want your questions now. We're back into general talk back gardening questions. one three hundred triple two eight nine one is the number. one three hundred triple two eight nine one. still have a couple of ABC Gardening Australia magazines to give away. And if you've heard something that you're interested in, don't forget, we do replay this hour. You can listen to it online. Just go to ABC Radio Adelaide online, go to the weekends program and you'll find it there. And if you have the ABC Listen app, it's available as a podcast every week. So you can listen back at your leisure, make your notes on everything that we were told to do by Jason Size, and uh, hopefully have delicious stone fruit this summer season. Talk Back Gardening with Deb Tribe on ABC Radio Adelaide, South Australia and Broken Hill. Wouldn't be too much of a Talk Back Gardening if it was just with me, I can assure you of that. But our special Talk Back Gardening host this morning is Brett Draper. And Brett, we've got uh, Lyndon from Kingston in the southeast joining us now. Lyndon, you've got an Agapanthus question for Brett. How are you? Um, yeah, just um, oh, about 10 years ago we planted 100 Agapanthus plants in a line about 50 metres long and they were very impressive for five or six years and um, over the last four years every now and again uh, two or three of them will die in a spot and um, we've probably lost a third of them now um, and when they've died off you can just pull the top of the plant off and the roots stay in the ground. Right, so right, they're, they're rotting off at, 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 at ground level, is that what you're saying? The foliage is rotting off at ground level? Um, or... or... Yeah. It seems like that, yes. Like when you go to, um, uh, say, pull that plant out, because we um, split up some others to put in it, put yes. in that spot, and um, the plant just 
us off the top of the roof real easy, like you just you don't have to push it or anything. Okay. Um, when you look down into that foliage, um, right down um, where it where it joins the ground, is it, is, does it does it still does it look healthy, or does it look like there's some sort of something else going on um, there? Is it being eaten, or is there some sort of maybe um, you know insect or something in there at all? Well, to me, it's it's a it's like a rot. Um, I've dug around. I can't because I had um, red-headed cockchafers in the lawn right. heavily, and I got rid of them. But um, uh, there's no cockchafers around the root ball. Like I've dug it all out, probably a two-foot square area to go through the soil and see if there's something, some sort of bug in there. Mm-hmm. Um, and it seems more like a rot. Okay, so it, to me, yeah. So, so whether it, maybe it's like a collar rot, maybe where there's moisture or excess moisture, are, are these clumps really, really tight in terms of their growth? They've obviously been established for a few years. Um, they they were all touching. Yeah, like they were all yeah um, touching along, and um, and my wife goes along, and cleans up all the dead stuff about every three months, pulls all the dead leaves off, and and um, anything like that, and they're fertilised and. Mm. Um, yeah, is I, there, I thought eggplants couldn't die. Well, um, <laughs> for for most people, no, that's the case. They <laughs> they uh, they don't die, and in fact, when they want to get rid of them, they can't get rid of them because they're exceptionally right. hard to dig out. I suspect there's this that that rot's caused by moisture getting into the actual plant. Is there any mulch or anything touching the outside of these plants at all, like causing that possibly causing like a collar rot around them, maybe or? No, um. My wife puts bark around, but it's very. She only scatters it like it's not not a mulch as such. Yeah, and it's not um, touching them at all. It's not touching the the base of those plants. No, because the leaves come out and fall down like out wider, and so the bark mm. is outside that. Um, yeah, Look, there's, no, there's not. Apart from old dead, like a few dead leaves in underneath that have um, off the plant themselves. Um, no, there's not that much. Yeah, look that. Um, Lyndon, that's a really tricky one. I mean, I, I it, without seeing it, of course, it, may, it does make it a little bit more difficult. But, I, but I suspect it's got to do with um, um, moisture getting in um, there and maybe getting in down in, into that foliage and actually causing it to rot off um, um, at, at the top. But there might be something else going on there. It's just a little bit hard to know. Maybe um, if you're able to um, to to take some some photos, some good photos of it, and, and take them along to your local garden centre um, for them to have a look at it, or even if you've got um, I'm not sure what you've got down at Kingston or around that area. Um, pop some some samples into a plastic bag and take it in just for them to have a look at it. It's it's a little bit hard to say, and because because as you say, agapanthus are almost indestructible. But it sounds like there's there's definitely something going on there, and whether it is moisture related or something else, it's a little bit hard um, without seeing it to be able to diagnose that for you. Yeah, yeah, and, I, and the other thing, we're in um, like uh, sand. Like I'm only uh, 800 metres from the beach, yes. but we're in. So you've well, got good drainage. Drainage, drainage is, is, yeah. is, is, is not the problem. But whether the moisture is getting down into that foliage and actually sitting down in that foliage and actually then causing uh, that moisture sitting in there is actually causing the rot, I suspect that might be the case. I w- the only other thing I would suggest is keep them as clean as possible underneath. Remove any old decaying foliage that might be there or anything like that just to ensure that there's no or, or there's as much, as much air movement as possible through there just to help with that, that drying situation. Lyndon, I thought I was the only person that could kill essentially indestructible plants, but you've managed to do it as well. I hope it uh, improves in the future. Jennifer is in Seaford Meadows with a gardenia question. Good morning, Jennifer. Good morning. Um, yeah, I've got a gardenia. It's 
um, a young plant. I only planted it at the beginning of the year. Mm -hmm. And its leaves have gone all yellow. And I'm wondering if it's an iron problem. It, it, look, it could well be iron, but it's probably more more likely to be um, the extended cool weather that we've been having and the ability for the oh. plant to be able to pick up the nutrient. Um, so right. have you planted your gardenias in the ground or in a pot? In the ground. In the ground. I have got one in a pot, mm -hmm. and that's doing great guns. Yeah, so look, we're seeing lots of lots of plants um, that that are, are, are you know um, subtropical um, or come from warmer climates, a bit like what gardenias do. When we have extended yeah. cold and excess moisture, their ability to pick up that nutrient, um, iron, manganese, all of those available nutrients that they would normally uh, be able to access uh, because of the cold, they just can't pick it up at the moment, and that will improve as the uh, soil uh, dries and the the actual soil temperature rises and the plant um, uh, actually then gets into active growth. Um, you yeah. will find that over time, um, and, and a lot of people that are growing gardenias here in Adelaide find that the leaves do yellow and they need to apply a regular application of magnesium sulfate or Epsom salts because uh, there's often a, right. um, a magnesium deficiency that's in there. But I don't think this is the case just yet with yours. I think it's more oh. to do with the cold and it will improve. If it hasn't, yeah. say, in the next you know sort of month or so, then I'd be looking at applying one of those corrective elements to help um, just uh, bring that green back to your foliage, if that makes sense. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for calling in. Love to hear from you, Jennifer. Sue is in Victor Harbour. Uh, Sue, uh, you've got fungus on your peach tree. Yes, yes. I've got a 15-year-old Alberta peach, um, and um, I had budded when it was a younger tree, a peacherine and a nectarine, and that, that part of the tree seems to be doing quite well. But on the part that's bearing peaches, there's quite knobbly, uh, lumpy fungi. It's maybe, I don't know, 10, 12 centimetres um, wide. Um, and then on the branches beyond that, the, the uh, bark is a little bit cracked and I can see orange inside the cracked bark. Mm. Um, and it's not thriving. No, so the, the, this, this, this fungi is growing... Um, uh, in the exposed, so where the bark has actually been damaged at some stage, and it's growing on the the timber that's there, is is that yeah, where that it's growing? Yeah, that seems to be. Yeah. Yeah. So, do you do you think that that damage to the bark is, or do you know the cause of that? Is it was it maybe due to sunburn or something? Um, maybe in a previous year, or yeah, I'm not really sure. That the lumps seem to have been perhaps where I cut off a significant branch some years back, perhaps. Right, okay, and that might have allowed um, the fungal spores to get into that car. Um, so, is it so? It's it's just one part of the tree that's affected, or it's just one branch, or is it on 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 more branches? It, it's just on the peach part of the tree, the peacherine and the nectarine part of the tree where it budded. They seem to be doing quite well. Mm. It's just um, the peach part of the tree, which obviously was the the, the original. Yeah, look, it, it, it doesn't sound good to me because once you start to see that sort of decline in, in the actual wood of, of the tree and, and you get that, that fungi and, and that starting to grow in there, it's nature's way of, of saying that, you know, well, I'm, <laughs> this particular branch is on its way out because those, those sort of material, those sort of fungi move in as, um, as timber or as that wood actually dies, um, and it's just the natural process of it, of it starting to break down. I'm really not aware of anything that you could apply from a, a domestic perspective that would be able to control that. 
Um, maybe if you really value the peach that's there, maybe if you're able to take to you know to to, to take some wood um, uh, next season and butt it on, so you can continue somewhere else on the tree, for instance, onto another tree. If you really value it, but I suspect that I think you're going to lose that branch, and eventually you're going to need to prune that off. Okay. I had a horrid feeling that might have been yeah, the case, but a, I thought, oh, you might have some special pickup. Uh, look, I, I wish I did, but unfortunately I don't think there's anything that you can really do. Now, once you lose that protective layer of bark, um, it allows all sorts of, of pathogens and bacterias to get in there. And once you get moisture into that that that, um, that wood that's there, you'll get some rot that sets in and then you'll get all sorts of, of bacteria. And they're not necessarily bad they're, and fungi. They're, they're, they're often good things. It's just nature's way of it starting to break down and um, the decon- uh, all the decomposing material. Okay. Do you think I'll keep the picturine and the nectarine to a separate bud? Right, look, I, I think you would, providing that the bark on them remains intact. So, you know, the bark is a bit like our skin. If we have a cut, for instance, it, you know, and we don't clean that, for instance, it can allow things to actually get in and we can get an infection. So it's the same thing with your tree, really. So if you've got a, a good layer of protective bark on there, there's no reason why it should, shouldn't affect any other part of the tree. Thank you, Sue. Good luck with that. Jill is in Kensington Gardens and wants advice on a hedge tree. Hi, Jill. Hi. Hi. Um, Yes, I have um, a courtyard garden um, and at the back there's a nice fence about two metres high and I've planted a Maria hedge, but the house behind has been demolished and they're going to build a two-storey house and I want to block out their house from my view. So what I was after is... Um, possible trees, just a couple, that will grow quite quickly and um, grow up and I can take lower branches off and it'll become like a bit of a pom-pom tree at the top to block them out. Okay, Jill, so what what sort of aspect? Do you get sun in this particular area? Is it, or, yes, or with, or, yes. And, yes but, it will. But when, they, when the neighbours build this house, will that have an impact yes. on the shade that you get or the sun that you get into no, the area? N- no, because they're in the south. Right. So, no, it won't. Okay. Yeah, all right. So your marayas that are there, what height are you wanting to grow the marayas to? Because the, the maraya will grow to three or four metres if you allow yes, it to. Yes, they've been in two years, but they're a bit slow growing. And I was sort of just going to cover the fence, really, which is... Right. Um, probably two to three metres. Okay, yeah. So there's a couple of ways. I mean, you could look at using a um, a, a fastidiate tree and there's 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 quite a few um, on the market. And, and, you know, most commonly you would have heard probably of your 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 capital pairs um, because they are... Oh, okay. Yeah, um, um, but there's, there's a whole series of trees around that as well. There's some more fastidiate trees in there. Um, fastidiate. It will depend on so fastidiate basically means that it, it it grows tall and narrow. So where you've got a yep. courtyard space, you're not going to get a massive canopy, but you no. will get height out of there. Um, yep. And their ultimate growth will depend a little bit on the tree, for instance. But you know some of them are, can can grow once established to the five to six meter mark. So providing you know you 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 um, your space can allow that. If that's yep. too high, for instance. You can then other also look at maybe um, uh, putting up a structure and actually growing a climbing plant on there. And you can get some really lovely climbers like yeah. Chinese star jasmine, for instance, which yeah, has beautiful yeah. white fragrant flowers, and that works really well as a screen as well. So, so I, you mean adding to the fence? Yeah, or having a structure in front of the fence because often you you, okay. you can't necessarily yep. attach it to the fence, for instance, because if you need then to do any maintenance to the fence or the neighbours want to do something to the fence and you've got it growing on there, it's a much 
bigger yeah. problem. So if you have a separate structure in front of the fence, which you yeah. can extend up and then grow a climber on there, um, oh, um, you mm. could actually do that rather than actually putting a tree um, um, in there. And that will fit, I mean, particularly if you've got, if it's a more of a formal style courtyard, that will fit very nicely within that theme as well. Well, it's a bit rough at the moment. It's it? not <laughs> <laughs> veggies and all sorts. But, um, okay, that's a great idea. Thanks, okay. Jill. Thank- Hope it Thank looks you. lovely in the not-too-distant future. Uh, we have got uh, a couple of ABC Gardening Australia magazines up for grabs. If you haven't won anything from our station in the last month, then call in now on 1300 991. Talk Back Gardening with Deb Tribe on ABC Radio Adelaide, South Australia and Broken Hill. Looks like the phones are lighting up for our Gardening Australia magazines. I'll tell you the winners. Uh, they are David from Wyala and Mary from Clemsig. Well done. Uh, Anne is in Williamstown with a mulberry tree. Oh, I love mulberries. Have you had a good crop, Anne? No, it's been absolutely awful. <laughs> Um, I, I'm used to mulberry trees just bearing their little heads off, I guess. Um, but this particular mulberry tree, it's been here for two or three years now. Um, it's about a metre and a half tall, and it has very black mulberries. But this year, um, what's happened to its leaves, I've never seen happen before, which is they've got a lot of little brown spots and the leaves are curling up. I'm just wondering whether this is something like the leaf curl that you're getting in the stone fruits and whether I should do something about it. There are fresh, um, relatively unaffected leaves coming through now. Mm. Yeah, and look, it sounds to me that like that's the case where the excess uh, moisture that we've had and the excess moisture on leaves for a longer period of time this year is causing a, a bacterial uh, blight or, or problem on those particular leaves. Um, and that's distorting the cells within the leaves, and that's what's causing them to to you know sort of be a little bit misshapen and not their normal sort of growth habit. Um, mm. So you've said that. So there's some newer growth coming on there that's not affected. Is that that's? Yes, there is. That's just appeared over the last, um, oh, I guess, week to ten days. Yeah. So look, I think going forward, I think um, your tree will be okay. I don't necessarily think there's any any need now to 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 spray uh, for a um, a fungal issue. Um, mm-hmm. uh, I think you'll find the foliage that's affected, you will eventually drop and the new foliage that comes through won't be affected. And that's providing we continue on this uh, course of, of finer weather. If we continue to have, you know, constant wet, showery weather, there may be a problem and you may need to look at spraying it. But I don't think it's something you need to do at this stage from what you're describing to me. Fantastic. Thank you. Thank you for the call. We Thank greatly you. appreciate it. Helen is in Glenelg North with a petunia problem. Hi, Helen. Oh, good morning, guys. Look, I've got um, two beautiful tubs of uh, white petunias cascading over. The one that's been in a little bit longer, the leaves are going yellow. I have put slow-release fertiliser on um, initially, but I'm just wondering why the um, the actual leaves are going Yellow? Have I overwatering it? Do you think? Or mm, there's always that possibility. But have you, other than the slow release, Helen, has it had any other form of nutrition? Um, blood and bone. 
blood and bone. Okay, and when was that? A, when was that applied? When you actually planted them? Yeah, initially, when I initially d- d- did it, yeah. um, planted them. Yeah, and and what makes you suspect that you're overwatering them? Uh, is it something that you know where you have been a little bit too kind with the watering can, for I instance? Or I have because there's a couple of other plants not far from it, which I give them um, uh, more water than what I normally give the petunias, but. The other petunia that I put in a bit later, they they are okay. That hasn't got the, and they're not as quite as big as the initial. Um, yeah, Helen, yeah. it could it could be a couple of things, and it's hard to say. I don't necessarily yeah. think that it's that's necessarily caused by overwatering. Um, no. I, I might would just suggest you actually give it a soluble feed. So do you have a, a, a soluble fertiliser like a a Thrive or a Power Feed or one of those ones that you can mix into yeah. water and apply? Yeah. Yep, we'll do. Yeah. I, I can tell you what I have been doing quickly. Um, I've been sea soiling it every. I know that's not a fertiliser; it's a root stimulant. Yes, but yep. I've been giving that. But um, perhaps yes, I'll give it the um, liquid yeah. fertiliser. I, I, I suspect it's it's wanting nitrogen, and if the plants have been growing really well and they've been um, you know rocketing along, yeah. for instance, it's probably used the available nitrogen that was in the pot that was there. And also, when you water, you actually force some of those nutrients out through the bottom of the pot as well. So I I think it's yeah. probably a little bit hungry. So next time you need to give it a water, you can mix some uh, seaweed-based plant tonic into your watering can and then at the same time you can put a, um, a Thrive or a Power Feed or oh, one okay. of those those and put it on and give it a good water. And I think you'll find in a couple of weeks it will it will be considerably different to what it is now. Um, what, about 30 mil of um, the liquid? Just um, as... Uh, as yep. Yeah, and... The rest of the, in the can. That's right. The product the yeah. product will have a direction on there. It'll just follow yeah. the directions for. It'll yeah. say for flowering plants or for yeah. flowering annuals. Put it on there, and yeah. um, and you can't go wrong. Okay, good. Thank you very much. Thanks, Helen, for bye the bye. call. Really appreciate it. Thank you to Frosty. He says his kumquat tree is going bunter. Just sprayed it with pest oil. I just wanted to talk to you um, briefly because, you know, you are a garden centre manager and you work in the trade. We were talking earlier this morning with uh, Matthew Evans about the a massive amount of food waste, but has the season led to any waste in the garden industry? Well, yes, Deb, it has. And in the last couple of weeks when we've had very wet, showery weather and gardeners are not actually out gardening because of it's not conducive for being yeah, outside. especially the weekends. That's right, and things aren't growing. Our seedling growers, for instance, which are geared at this time of the year for very high demand and they program for every week what they need to have ready for that week. So it's growing in punnets, so very small little cells of plants. And plants, when they're growing in those very small cells, have a very short shelf life, if that makes sense. They grow very quickly. And so we have this situation where when we have adverse weather, like that and people stop planting we've got all of this stock or the nurseries have production nurseries have all of this stock thousands and thousands of plants on the ground ready to go and then suddenly no one wants to buy them and they've really only got a very short window to actually sell them before they go past their best if that makes sense Um, which means that there have been in the last couple of weeks you know quite a few you know thousands of trays of seedlings which have had to go to the compost heap because there's just no way of stopping them if people are not buying them if that makes sense their growth just continues and uh, it's look it's one of the trials and tribulations of growing plants but when you're growing them on a mass scale and you're geared for higher turnover at this time of the year it does have an impact so is the nursery industry looking at what it's going to do because we know with climate change we are looking at more and more strange weather and extreme weather patterns 
how are they going to grapple with it? Well, well, and it's it's always it's one of those challenges, Deb. Obviously, and and so their their propagation is geared on on historical records in terms of what they sell from year to year at that time. So it, it's a real challenge for them going forward to predict what people might want and when they might want them. I guess the weather is going to be the weather, and we really can't mm. control that. I'm afraid, but we just have to have maybe processes in place where um, we, they might just bring back the numbers a little bit, for instance, um, um, and that might mean that for one week you can't get a particular variety of something because it might sell out in between. And if that's the if that's the way it has to be, it has to be, but it's a real challenge. Well, it's been wonderful having you in the studio this morning, Brett Draper. Lovely to have your smiling face across from me. Absolutely, Deb. And until I'm here next time, good gardening. <laughs>